God cannot be contained in any church. He cannot be contained in any building. He is um, uh, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. Do you think you see the, the problem with this is that if I can contain God, if God is contained in this church, and I go to church and I worship him, then when I leave the church, I can do what I want. Can we say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, you know, excited about what God is doing. God, God, just excited about what God is doing. And I, I tell you, in the midst of all this, I, I, um, I have never, uh, I, I've been pastoring and ministering since I was at the age of 20, 20 years old, 21 years old, something like that. And I have never experienced what I have been experiencing in the last um, two months, three months. And uh, it has really been a process for me. It's been a stretching process. It, it has really been a, a process where uh, I'm reevaluating uh, everything, what's really important and ministry and everything in my life. And, uh, and uh, I... I you know, sometimes you don't know in what direction to go in as a pastor uh, because you go in one way, you're criticized. If you go another way, you're criticized. And, you know, it's just one of those situations, no matter what you do, you're going to be criticized and, uh, and, uh, and everything that's going on in the world. And, uh, and I even, uh, you know, thought to the Lord, I said, Lord, is it, um, maybe is it, is it time to turn it over to the younger ones? <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, those thoughts go through your mind. If they don't, then you're not a pastor. But if you're our pastor, they go through your mind, uh, those things and everything. And, but you know something? I really, I really believe that God is getting ready to pour out his spirit and, and expand the kingdom of God uh, like we've never seen before in our lives. It may have happened in other generations, but I believe it's getting ready to happen in our lives. And I believe that, that we're coming to a greater understanding of Scripture and we're coming to a greater understanding of one another. Uh, you know, I, 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 I want to, uh, I want to uh, understand. I, I want to love people the way God loves people. I really do. And I want to understand, you know, people and, uh, and everything. And so I, I think God that is, God is uh, just causing us to expand our horizon in our way of ministry, and, and so I want you to continue to pray for us, and I'd like for you to turn in your Bible this morning to Exodus. We're going to go back to Exodus, the 20th chapter. We started there in Exodus, the 20th chapter, uh, two weeks ago, and I, I, I've been doing, a, or started a series called Application, Bible Application, and I kind of want to leave off the word Bible, but I don't want to leave off the word Bible, uh, because I do believe in biblical application. And how that, a couple of weeks ago, we shared uh, and we established how that the Ten Commandments, the law, the principles, the guidelines, whatever term you want to use, the principles that God laid down to, Israel, to the Israelites were not given to establish a relationship, but they were given to a nation where a relationship was already established. Because he comes out in verse 1 and he says, I am the Lord your God. 
declaring that I'm in a relationship with you. I love you. I have delivered you. I have set you free from the bondage of slavery and Egypt and, and all of these things. And he was already in a relationship with the children of Israel. And he brings them to Mount Sinai and, and, and he confirms. He confirms. He doesn't establish a relationship. He confirms the relationship at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain and, of course, he gives them what we call the Ten Commandments, and uh, and 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 that that God wanted Israel to know that they were loved and they were accepted by Him. And then last week we moved over to James, the first chapter, and we talked about life application. We talked about life application. That application is everything. It is what you do that matters and what you do that makes a difference. Believing is a very good first step, but until you start doing, there's not going to be much difference, if any difference, in your life. And he uses his scripture, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Application makes the difference. If you just hear it, but you don't apply it, you don't live it out, you don't do what it says, nothing will change. But when you begin to live it out, things begin to change in your life. Well, this morning, I'd like for us to go back to Exodus, and I want us to look at the first two commandments that God gives to the children of Israel. And, and as we look at these two commandments, it is clear, it is clear, and I want to emphasize it, it is clear that before God wants us to be a law keeper, he desires for you and I to be in a relationship with him. Got to get that. Before he wants us to be a law keeper, he wants us to be in a relationship with him. I, I love that. God is more concerned about your relationship with him than he is anything else. Your relationship with him. But these first two commandments that God gives us sets us up. Now hear me. The first two commandments that God gives us sets us up to make the most significant decision that you and I will ever make. If you do not make the decision that the first two commandments, that the first two commands, with, with what the first two commands deal with, the other commands really become irrelevant. So we've got to establish what is God saying here. And so I want us to read Exodus, the 20th chapter, starting, and I'm going to start at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
Now, let's pause for a moment and go back up to verse 3. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. In this verse, God is making it clear. Now, God, we're going to remember the culture that the children of Israel came out of. They came out of slavery, out of bondage. They knew or had no law. They were told by their masters what to do, how to live, what they, were, what, what they expected. But God is making it clear that he desires for him to be the only God in our lives. He does not want to be the first of many. And he does not, to be the, does not want to be one of many. Now think about that. In their culture that they came out of, they believed in many gods. They believed in many deities. They made all kinds of idols to worship or to represent the various gods that they believed in. They believed in the God of fertility, the God of uh, uh, love, the God of agriculture, the God you could go on and on, the sun God, the moon God, and all the other gods. They believed that they were, these were all, they were gods of all of these things. And, and so there were various gods. I was talking to uh, someone, I think it was Thursday night, I was uh, talking to my uh, brother-in-law, he came down and I was talking to him and we were talking about, uh, he was, uh, not too long ago I, I worked in a, uh, I did some work in a temple somewhere and, and it, it wasn't a Christian temple but it was a temple and I'll just leave it at that and, and, uh, and he had done some work in a temple somewhere and they had different idols in the temple that he, he went in, and he was doing some, I don't know what kind of work he was doing, but he was doing some type of uh, 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 construction. And he went into the temple and uh, doing some work, and they had different gods. They had different idols positioned at the place, and they're at the face of the, uh, or at the base of the idol or the god that they, they called God. They weren't gods, but they, what they would call gods, they would have an offering pan. And, and he said, you know something? He said, He's the, 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 the priest or the person or whoever it was, not the priest, but whoever was in charge of the temple, he said, you know where we get most of our money at? Where do you think? From the God of sex. <laughs> that's what he said. He said, that's where we get most of our money from is the God of sex. They put an offering because if you give an offering to that particular God, you know, then the God that God is going to bless you, you know. And, and, it, and I got tickled. I thought, wow, you know, that's, that, that doesn't surprise me, but, you know, that, that, that's what they. But, but remember, the Israelites came out of that culture. They came out of that culture that if you do certain things and if you give and you act a certain way that, and you honor this God and you honor the, the God of fertility, you'll have uh, a lot of children. If you honor the God of agriculture, you're, you'll produce a lot of uh, crops. And if you have, you know, on and on and on. And, and, and so God is saying, you shall have no other God before me. Because I don't want to be one of many gods. I don't want to be uh, one of, uh, uh, of the gods in your life. I want to be the one and only God to you. If you need something from, uh, you need something, I want you to come to me. 
If you need something, I want you to come to me. I don't want you to go to another God. I don't want you to go to another deity. I don't want you to go anyone else. I want us to have a relationship with each other that whatever they need, if you need deliverance, if you need healing, if you need a provision, if you need refuge, if you need strength, whatever you need, I want you to come to me because I want to be the one and only God in your life. I don't want to be one of many or one of a few. I want to be the one and only God, and whatever you need of me, I want you to feel free to come to me. Now, I want that kind of relationship with God, and the amazing thing is God wants that kind of relationship with you. He wants that kind of relationship with you that if you need provision, you look to him. That you don't look to your employer, that you don't look to someone else, that you look to him to provide you for what you need in your life, that you call on the name of Jesus Christ. And if you need healing, that you call on the look to him. If you need that refuge, you know, uh, 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 let me just tell you something about Friday night. Friday night, I, I tell you what, the last, my wife will tell you, and I'm not saying this to a, woe is me, woe is me. That's not the point of the, what I'm trying to share. But the last several weeks, I have been just absolutely overwhelmed. And, I, and I'm not physically tired. I'm not physically tired. In fact, I've been working all kinds of hours. I'm not physically tired. I am mentally exhausted. I'm just mentally exhausted. I mean, just literally mentally exhausted. And, and, and we were talking last night, and I said, Kim, I, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. She says, I know you are. And I said, I'm not even tired of working. I said, in fact, when I do other jobs and I'm working with my hands, I said, and that has been a vacation for me because it takes my mind off all the negative things that are going on in the world. It takes my mind off all the things, the chaos and the pandemic and, and all of the, the chaos. And it just takes kind of my mind off of it because I'm focused on it. But I told her last night, I said, I am tired. But I want you to know what happened when, a Friday night. Friday night when we came to the church, you know, and we began to pray and, you know, it was kind of slow and, and one of those things. But there was a point and, and a few had left because I had told him, I said, now we're going to pray and when you get finished, you know, you think you, you've prayed enough and whatever. I said, you can leave. But there was, a, there was a moment that all of a sudden worship began to break out. Derek had his guitar and, and all of a sudden Derek got on the very back pew and he sat down and he began to finger pick and he just began to worship. And then all of a sudden my wife got up and began to move around and began to worship. Then all of a sudden, we just begin to join in. We just begin to worship. And we begin to lift up the name of Jesus. We begin to exalt and glorify him. And, and as we did, I'm telling you, something began to transpire. There was a peace. I can't describe it. I, can't, I, I, I really can't describe how it was. But there was an awesome presence of God that just came in and we were ushered into his manifested presence in such a way that I'm telling you, all the, all the weight, all the weight of the world, all the weight that I had been carrying, all the weight that I had been feeling and that you had been feeling, I'm not the only one that feels this way. You guys are feeling the same kind of weight. But all of a sudden, 
all of that weight lifted off me, and I thought, oh, God, I haven't felt like this in a long time. I mean, the weight is gone, the peace. I mean, it just flooded my soul. And God is saying, listen, I want to be your God. I don't want you to have any other gods before me. I want to be your one and only God. I want to have such a relationship with you that whatever the need may be in your life, whether it's provision, whether it's uh, peace, whether it's joy, whether uh, he, whatever deliverance, whatever the, the need is in your life, I don't want you to look and give to someone else. I want you to look to me. Because that's the kind of relationship that I want with you. He wanted to be their provider, their healer, their deliverer, and etc. The important thing to God was, they rec- was that they recognize who he really is and that he becomes the center of their lives. Now, how is this command relevant for us today? I mean, really. I mean, if we could settle this one issue, this one issue in our own personal life, then everything else in life will fall into its proper place. Every command will take care of itself. You see, giving God the recognition that he deserves and making him the only God in our lives will cause all, will cause everything else in life to be taken care of. The first commandment is starting is the starting place for anyone who wants to function in a relationship with a loving father. So he tells the Israelites, I don't want you to have any other God before me. I want to be the one and only God in your life. I want to be the center of everything that you do. Now, notice the second command. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I want to pause there for just a moment. He makes it clear that God that God does not want us to attempt to erect any kind of monument or statue that represents, him, that represents him. Now, why is that? Why does he not want us to make a why does he not want us to make the cross an idol? Why does he not want us to make the tomb an idol? Why does he not want us to make some kind of big cathedral and make it an idol? Well, that's the place you have to go to worship. Now, just think about this. The culture that the Israelites left, just left, had from had statutes and mon- monuments that represented their gods or deities formed by their own hands, and God did not want them to try to contain him in some man-made form. Think about it. What is the one thing the Israelites did when when Moses went on the mountain? When God was giving this command to the Israelites, what is the one thing they did? They began to make a golden calf to represent who God was in their life. Why would they do that? 
because that's all they knew. They haven't been given the command yet, the guideline yet, the principle yet. They haven't been given that yet, and so that's all they knew. And so God is on the mountain talking to Moses, giving the guidelines for them to live by, and they're down there on the earth trying to form a golden calf that represents God. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you. You say, well, you know, why not have some kind of representative to God uh, about God? God was making it clear that he doesn't, does not want you and I, and I want to get this right, he doesn't want you and I to make anything that represents him because he is unre, re, he is unre, thank you, unrepresentable. Thank you, he is unrepresentable. Whatever man can create, God is greater. God is greater. I mean, I think about the temple that God, uh, that, that, that David or Solomon made. And it was a huge, majestic temple of, I mean, it was majestic. It was full of ornaments. It was full of gold. I mean, I, there was nothing on the earth that has ever been made before and nothing made since. And yet Solomon recognized that even this cannot contain your glory or your presence or who you are. And so God says, listen, don't create anything because whatever you create, I am much greater, I am much bigger, I am much more majestic than anything that you can create with your hands. And if you create something, I mean, what you'll do is you'll begin to marginalize me and you'll begin to put me in a compartment. You'll begin to uh, put me in a box, so to speak. God is omnipresent. Do you know that people that, that, that people have the mindset that in order to worship God, I must go to church? God cannot be contained in any church. He cannot be contained in any building. He is om, uh, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. Do you think you see the, the problem with this? is that if I can contain God, if God is contained in this church, and I go to church and I worship him, then when I leave the church, I can do what I want. I can do what I want because I'm not in the presence of God. I'm not in the presence of God. I can live any kind of life. I can do what I want, and God really doesn't see me because he's compartmentalized into a structure we call the church. God is so much bigger than all the churches in the world. The churches in the world cannot contain the presence of God. That's why David said, if I go into hell, even in hell am I in your presence. If I make my bed, no matter where I go, I'm always in the presence of God because God, you're so majestic, you're so great, you're so mighty, you're so powerful, you're so big that there's nothing in the world that can contain you. But that's what we do. That's what we do. We, God is in the church. Let me tell you. And, and I use that expression, God was in the house. Listen, he was in the house, but he was outside the house. God is everywhere, and God is so much greater than anything that I can create or make. He's unrepresentable. This is important because we must never think that we can manage or comp compartmentalize God. 
whatever one would try to make of him would not reflect who he really and truly is. And this concept of not bowing down to an object was something that was completely unheard of during that time in history and would be something that would, that would take centuries to change. But notice what Jesus said. In John, the fourth chapter, 21 through 24, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews or is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father see. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. That term, worship him in spirit, must be God's worshipers must worship him from the heart and in obedience, in submission. You are the one and only God. I think that's so amazing that God is saying to us, if we can get this right, if, you, if I can become the one and only God in your life, then I want you to understand, if you understand this relationship that I want to be the only one and only God in your life, and you come to me, whatever you need in your life, I will be the one to meet that need because of who I am and because of my love for you. It changes everything. God wants to be the center of everything, every decision, every provision, every whatever. If God is the center of everything in your life, then there will be no need to steal because God is my provider. You say, I don't even, I don't even need that commandment, do not steal. God's my provision. You see what I'm saying? It's, it, it becomes irrelevant. There'll be no need to murder because God has my back. God is going to take care of it. God is, it, it, it is my, it, it will take, God will take care of those who wrong me. I don't have to take matters into my hand because the God whom I serve, who's omnipresent, who's sovereign, who's great, he sees he's got my back. He'll take care of them. So I don't need to worry about any of that. And when God is the focal point of your life, there will be no need to covet. Listen, when you get something good, I'm excited for you. You get a new car, you get a new home, you get a new toy, you get whatever you want. I'm excited for you. And you know something? I don't even have to covet because my God will give me the desires of my heart according to his, I mean, according to his will. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I'm excited. If God gave you, you know, I saw this post on Facebook, and uh, they're, they're giving away some kind of RV. Did y'all, have y'all seen that? They're giving away an RV and, in, uh-huh. Yeah, giving away an RV, and, you know, man, I, I see people, I'd like to take that. Even Kim posted something. I'd like to camp in that, you know, and, and, and everything. And, you know, but something, God is my provision. If God wants me to have an RV, guess what? He's going to give me one. Of course, I don't care about an RV. I'd like to have a, just a good old tent. My wife doesn't, but I'd like to have a good old tent. You know? <laughs> but God will. And, and, and so, you, you see, we must never shrink God down to be less than what he is or think that we can even manage him. When God is the only, 
When God becomes the center of everything, everything falls in place. Now, notice this. Notice the commandment comes. Uh, notice what he says. I am the Lord your God. Am a je- I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? It's a warning. God does not want anything to compete with his place in our lives. He wants to be first, the one and only true God. And there's a warning. And it's not because God is insecure. It's because God wants what's best for our life. And he tells us, the warning, when God is not the center of your life, it affects future generations. Did you hear what I said? When God is not the center of your life, it affects your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And it affects them in a negative way. You see, I believe that, uh, that a lot of what we're facing today in America... And in the world is because my generation has forsaken God. I, I grew up in the, oh, I hate to say it, late 60s, 70s, during Woodstock. I know you young folks don't even have an idea what Woodstock is. <laughs> In my generation rebelled against God. They literally rebelled against God and shut God out, shut prayer out of schools, shut prayer out of government, shut God to the side. My generation did that. For which I want to say, I'm so sorry. I am sorry that my generation did that. And you know what? It's affected the children, the grandchildren. And now the great-grandchildren. And you need to understand that when God is not the center of your life and you begin to make decisions based on not what God says and not what God wants, but what you want and what the selfish man that all of us have, when we begin to make those decisions and we begin to follow what we want rather than the guidelines that God has laid down to us, it affects future generations. And I believe today that a lot of what we're facing is because my generation rejected God being Lord of their lives. And I am sorry. And my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren that are in the future are being affected by that. You need to understand this is serious. That's why this first command and the second command is so important that we get right, that we follow them, that it becomes a guideline to our our lives because if we don't get this right, everything else is irrelevant. That's why it's so important. Notice what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. I'm telling you, if you get this commandment right, you won't even need the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Man, if I get this right with God, I don't have to worry about the other one because it's going to be right. It's going to be right. But notice not only the, the warning, but notice the promise. But showing love, oh, I love this. We need to get this. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. If you make decision, if you make the decision to allow God to be the center of your life and you allow him to be, to be who he really is to us, then you will not only be blessed, but your children will be blessed. And all those relationships will be affected in a positive way. Do you get it? Do you know there are people that are affecting me today that I didn't even know? I, don't even, I didn't even know them personally. I didn't have a personal relationship, yet they had such a relationship with God, and God was the center of their lives, and I'm reading stuff about them today. I'm studying their lives, and I'm studying their writings, and I'm studying some. It has, it has affected the way I think, the way I believe. It has affected me into a positive way. And the amazing thing is, the negative thing is, affects the third and the fourth generation. But when you follow God, it affects generations, a thousand generations. Think about that. Just by getting this first commandment right, it affects the world in which we live. It does. So this brings us to an important place. In our lives, well, we have to make a decision. What is going to be the first and the most important thing in your life? What is the one thing that you value the most and you are going to run all your life decisions through? If there is something in your life that is so important that you have organized your life around it, that you find it, you, you are finding it becoming preeminent thing in your life, then that may have become your God. Little. And when there is a little God, whatever it may be, life is going to get out of balance. Why? Because we were designed not to allow anything to come between us and our Heavenly Father. We were designed for nothing to take center stage in our life except the one and only God. And so we must recognize that God alone is God of my life. And if this does not take place, life is not going to work out smoothly. It is going to become chaotic. So where are you funneling all your decisions through? Are you funneling all your decisions through what does God say about this? What does God want for my life? What does God want me to do? Are you funneling through what does the world say? What does my flesh say? What does my job say? You know, I had somebody come into my office this morning. 
And he looked at me and he said, he made this statement. He said, Randy, when this job is over with, I'm selling everything. I'm selling it all. He said, I got to get my life back in balance. And I looked at him and I said, I believe that's the thing you need to do. He believes that he needs to get back to a place where it's him and God and his family and God. Because if you don't, everything's going to get out of balance and everything's going to become chaotic. So I want to ask the question, what are you funneling all of your decisions through? Is it that God would become the center of your life? I know I don't, not supposed to use people. They get on to me, but I love Josh and Morgan to death. Josh is, I just love him. <laughs> I love Morgan. They got a beautiful life together, married. How long have you been married now? Two, two, almost two years. Two years, yeah, two years. But guess what? They're getting ready to have their first and life is going to be a little different come August. Actually, it's going to be a lot different. Vicky's fixing to be a grandma. I'm sorry. I just had to say it, Vicky. I know you're not old enough to be a grandma, but you're fixing to be a grandma. But the thing is, this is important, and I'm just using them as an example. The life of this girl right going to be supposed to be a girl this life of the girl is going to be affected by what's the number one thing in their life and if God is not the number one thing in their life if he's not number one there's a warning but if God is the number one thing in their life guess what God says listen I'm going to bless you for generations to come, thousands of generations to come. I'm going to bless you because you allowed me to be the most important thing in your life. And I think about that. And I want to challenge you and Josh that wherever the future takes you, make Jesus number one. And I promise if you do, that generations following for a thousand generations your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren will be blessed. They will. But the warning is if you don't, the effects of it is going to affect the next four generations. You see, I and, and, and hear what I'm saying in closing. Why do we even hesitate? Why do we even hesitate to make God the center stage of our life? To say to God from our heart, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in my life. Why do we even hesitate to say that? Because when God puts a restriction on us, the devil convinces you and I that God is trying to withhold something good. When God is not trying to withhold anything good, He's trying to keep you free from bondage. 
free from bondage. You see, that's why he gave these guidelines to the children of Israel. He says, I, you were in bondage for 400 and something years. I want to keep you free. I want to keep you free. I, it's not that I just want good for your life. I want to keep you free from the very thing that held you in bondage. And if you study the life and the history of the Israelites, they went right back into bondage. Why? Because God wasn't the center of their life. And God is saying the same thing to you and I. I want you and the generations after you and the generations after them, I want them to be free from the bondage of slavery and sin. I want them to be free. I'm not trying to withhold something good. I am trying to give you freedom so you can have good in your life. Would you stand? Who or what is the most important thing in your life? Is it God or is it some little God? What do you value most in your life? If we don't get this command, this guideline right, if we don't get it right, we will never have a balanced and a fulfilled life. But I believe if we get it right, God will keep us free from bondage, from addiction. And God will be free to bless your children. I want my children to be blessed. We had our three, three of our five grandchildren last night or yesterday afternoon. I am so thankful for them. They wore me out. I'm just going to be honest. I, am, I believe with all my heart that you need to have children when you're young because <laughs> they just wore me out. And, of course, Chris and Becca came by and picked them up, and, you know, and I just crashed. <laughs> But I love those kids. And I want them to have a blessed life. I want them to enjoy the freedom that I've enjoyed. I want them to enjoy the blessings that I've enjoyed. But the only way that's going to happen is if I make sure God is the center stage of my life for them to be blessed and their children to be blessed. I want to make Jesus number one. So I want to challenge you this morning. What do you value most in your life? What is the most important thing to you? Is it your relationship with your heavenly father? Or is it your job? Is it money? Your career? Is it other things? Whatever you're building your life around has probably become your God. Why don't we go back to the guidelines and say, Lord, today I've decided that you're going to be the center stage of my life. And I'm going to funnel every decision and the way I live and the way that I conduct my life, I'm going to funnel it through you first because I want you to be God. Would you bow your heads? Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning as we sing this song of worship? God, would you speak to our hearts this morning, God, and let's be real with ourselves. God, help us to be real with ourselves and ask the question, are you number one? 
Are you the most important thing? Am I funneling every decision, every aspect of my life? Am I funneling it through you being center stage? And God, if we're not, God, would you show us? Would you show me? God, would you show me if I'm not doing that? Because God, I want to I wanna get that God out of my life. And I want you to be the one and only God. I want you to help us to do that this morning, that you become the one and only God and that I look to you for everything that I need because you want to give me what's good. So I pray, God, help us to examine our hearts today. Would you search me? Would you search us, oh God, and see if there's any other gods in our life and that you would lead us in the way everlasting? that you would lead us into a right relationship with you today. I ask it in your name, Jesus. As every head's bowed and every eye's closed and we begin to worship, this altar is open. And listen, if you come to this altar, we're not going to judge you. Oh, what kind of God has he got in his life? Listen. There have been times that I've made small gods in my life and I shoved God to the side. And I've had to ask God to forgive me. There's nothing wrong with coming to an altar and saying, God, I need to realign my life back up with you, that you're number one. So this altar's open. If you'd like to come and pray, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just need to pray by yourself like Sister Marianne did last Sunday. She laid in the floor, and I thought about going over to her, but I thought, no, no, I don't need to. There's something, you know. And she told me, after church, she told me, she says, God told me to lay right there. It was between her and God. I didn't need to get involved. God was already involved in it. So sometimes we just need to let people pray and lay before the Lord. I want you to feel comfortable doing that today. Would you leave us there? Mountains are still being Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe it. Yes, we can see it. Wonders are still what you do. Bodies are still being raised. And giants are still being slain. God, we believe it. Yes, you can see it. Wonders are still what you do. We are here for you. Come into. 